0: Hey, What's up everyone? Welcome back to an episode of Politics and Bullshit. My name is David. It is Wednesday, November 18th. So moving along. So today I want to basically dedicate this entire episode to polls and polling. And what is all of that? And, and kind of like the issues with it, what happened with certain elections, specifically 2016 and 2020. So I I really wanted to do this episode for a long time, mainly because I got into polling maybe only, I don't know, like actually focusing on polls maybe uh, right before the 2016 elections. Um, I think, I don't know, polling is really fascinating to me. It's just a really interesting science And it's used throughout different, you know, businesses and organizations. And I just think it's really interesting how, you know, politicians use it, how society views polls. And sometimes when, you know, there's an issue with polls, you even learn more about, you know, your own population or or polling overall. So I'm really excited about this episode. And so I hope everyone listens to it uh, because I think everyone will come out of it being a little more aware of what's going on with polls, how we're supposed to read polls, things to keep in mind when looking at polls. So um, yeah, with that being said, let's just jump right in. Okay, so just maybe like a little quick history. So 1824 was the first poll ever done uh, on a presidential race. It was, um, I think it was like a local Pennsylvania newspaper of some sort, uh, so that's how long, you know, we have been using polls in our elections. As of 1980, every poll since then has accurately determined who would be the president, with exception to the year 2000 and 2016, um, even though 2000's on that list. Gore still came within one state of winning and it came down to like 500 votes and ultimately the Supreme Court had to jump in and declare uh, Bush the winner. So, you know, even though that was kind of like a discrepancy, it was still pretty accurate in that uh, Gore was close to winning or close to have won and, you know, he was the favorite to win. So, um, Jumping to currently, uh, you know, polling. Well, what is polling? Polling essentially is market research and reality. Uh, All sorts of businesses and organizations do what pollsters do in that everyone who's a business or an organization wants to know as much about their customers, their clientele, as much as they possibly can. Having that information is big money for them because then they're able to cater towards those people. They know what they want or don't want or what they might potentially want. And knowing a lot of information about your customers, you're able to advertise to them more effectively. You're able to maintain their business more effectively. Think of like social media, like Facebook or Instagram, you know, all, all these social media sites that use algorithms to determine what to show you. Instagram is a good example of that right you know when you when you're scrolling I guess currently when you when you scroll and you've already looked at all of your own follower stuff it immediately puts you on to hey you've seen everything but here's some things we think you'd like and then they start showing you things that you probably do like you know for me example it's always cats or uh you know workout tips or bands you know and and it's like how does Instagram know that I like that stuff well it knows because that's what I click like on when, you know, when I'm going through my stuff. So in a way, even though Instagram isn't pulling me to determine who's going to win, Instagram has pulled me in that it knows what I like and it knows what I don't like by not liking certain things in a way. Basically what they're doing is they are breaking you as a person down. And then now that, you know, obviously these social media sites are becoming more monetized, Now they know what to target you with specifically, thinking that, okay, we know who you are. We kind of know where you live. We know you like cats. We know you like bands. And then that's why you might start seeing ads for, oh my God, this is a t-shirt of a cat and a band. Of course, I fucking love that. So, um, you know, polling overall is, is used everywhere, even outside of, you know, politics. All right. So, how do they work? And this is more specifically dealing with uh, political polls. So there are a variety of pollsters out there, right? There's pollsters who focus specifically on politics. There's pollsters who kind of just do basic marketing research for anyone. So a politician could hire them and they'll jump in and do polling for them. Uh, But basically what they do for politics is they are looking for Pockets of certain populations through various states across the country uh, Usually small pockets They don't want a crazy huge uh, number of people They kind of want to hone in on certain demographics To kind of see what that demographic is saying So if the uh, number of people that they're looking at is too broad They're going to get some really interesting numbers That really may not apply to certain voter blocks Which I will go over in time So they are looking for small, randomized groups of people in various locations. So uh, let's say, for example, you know, Biden is running in Texas, right? And so what a polling company might do is they will send out random either phone calls to landlines, phone calls to cell phones. They might even have in-person focus groups. So something around that. They will randomize these meetings or phone calls, and then they will purposefully uh, try to search for a certain demographic. So let's say a polling group calls me, and they're looking for let's say white, non-educated, and by non-educated I mean like no college degree, uh, you know, working class. And then let's say like okay, well I have a college degree, I'm not working class, etc. Um, They might still ask me questions, um, but they're going to get me off the phone or they're going to move on to the next randomized person because I am not what they're looking for. And the reason why they're looking for maybe that white working class non-college degree person is because I'm in a state where that voter block is a huge voting block. And they're trying to get a sense of where this voting block is. They already know where I am at, you know, this more kind of college degree. Maybe I'm making 100K, you know, they, they probably have a good idea where I'm at, but they have no clue where these kind of more working class white individuals are at. So anyways, uh, you know, they're going to call all these people and then... People, including in my example, me, who's not, you know, who, who's not a working class, versus the people that they find that are the working class, and what they'll do is they'll kind of add everything up. Like, okay, out of all the calls we had with white men, twenty-five uh, percent of those white men were working class, non-college degree uh, people. But we know in this city that the that this voting block of white, non-college degree people is like 50% of the population. But they only found 25% of individuals like that in their polls. So what they'll do is they'll double that 25% in their poll to reflect a 50% population. And then, you know, through other, you know, statistics, they, they will then now have a much more clear idea, in this location, this is how this area will vote. Um, same situation if, uh, you know, they were trying to figure out, okay, what are what are suburban white women... In some suburb of Philadelphia, thinking they'll send out a whole bunch of randomized calls and then they'll, you know, maybe only 30% of women pick up, right? Uh, women overall in the country are about like 49, 50% of the population, right? So maybe for like a national poll, if all they got was maybe 30% women responding, then they will bump that up 20% with those demographics they determine. And then they can have a much more clear idea nationally of like where the white women vote is theoretically. Um, and that's basically how they work. This is really kind of changing right now uh, because the traditional way that pollsters locate people, are the three ways that I mentioned, landline, cell phone, and in-person focus groups, no one really has a landline anymore except for maybe, you know, your average kind of older person, Right. Uh, other than that, um, that's why polling has been become kind of much harder for, for pollsters to do. Most people don't pick up phones that, or phone numbers they don't recognize. I sure as hell don't answer my phone if I don't recognize a number. Are you kidding me? Um, so that's also, you know, uh, I'm going to discuss kind of like the confusion with polls later on. But, you know, just kind of planting a seed in that how things are changing the way polls were done maybe like 30, 40 years ago, and to how they're being done now. So not only do polling companies get really creative uh, in terms of how they balance out you know, their polls when maybe it's like weighted too heavily with you know, one poll. This has way too many white males and not enough females. Or this poll has way too many uh, you know, white people versus minorities, etc., uh, they also get really creative in terms of how they ask certain questions. And I always, this is like one of my favorite things about polls because it literally comes down to how you ask certain things to make sure you are getting accurate information. A really big example of that right now is over healthcare. So lately, you know, on Twitter, with the uh, slight <laughs> breakdown of the left, you know, everyone's attacking each other. Uh, I've been seeing this, this you know, a lot of the far-left kind of uh, people saying some things, you know, towards, like, more, like, center-left, moderate, middle kind of d- Democratic people. Uh, how, you know, they were saying something to the extent of, like, well, if, if Joe Biden ran on Medicare for All, then he would have won those Senate seats, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, when I, when I read that, I'm like, well... Majority of the population does not support Medicare for all, uh, but majority of the population does support universal health care. And that, this is where I think people are getting two certain things confused, which is not their fault. Um, however, this leads into my the, the quick little discussion I want to have about this and how you ask certain questions. Um, I can't remember which article it was, uh, but this was months ago. This was during the, the, the Democrat primaries. And, you know, this poll came out. And it was specifically for um, healthcare. And it asked like a series of questions about healthcare. It asked, do you support private insurance? And of course, majority of people were like, yes. Um, Do you like private insurance? You know, that was kind of like 60-40. Slight majority of people did like their private insurance. And then it asked, do you support universal healthcare? Now, majority of people said they do support universal health care or some form of universal health care. But then when the question was asked, do you support uh, essentially getting rid of private insurance and moving to a Medicare for all type insurance plan, then that was defeated. The, the majority of people said, no, we don't want that. And hopefully that example provides you with some ideas of of how certain things can get confusing and then be kind of like repackaged and sold you know to fit someone's agenda. I'm not saying majority people don't want Medicare for all but we do live in a country where uh, a lot of people are relatively uh, scared of a government-ran, only-ran um, health insurance plan and that generally is reflected in the polls that get asked um, certain questions about health care and that's why Polling companies have to ask very specific questions uh, because sometimes when you ask too broad of a question, you're not getting the full kind of a uh, picture of how that voter is going to vote later on. I mean, you can ask a voter right then and there how they feel about universal health care, and then all of a sudden, maybe something in the news comes out where, uh, you know, the Obamacare caused 500,000 people's. Uh, deductibles to triple and all of a sudden you ask them a month later oh no i don't like universal you know so um just to kind of give an idea of how important it is to um ask questions and 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 not only ask questions but to look at those questions anytime a poll comes out it'll have crosstabs basically like uh, additional parts of the poll where they literally ask where they literally show you the question that was asked and a breakdown of the respondents, and it's important for readers to at least take a peek at those questions, because then you can kind of determine if that polling company either has some sort of like inherent bias, like through the questions, you can kind of tell that, okay, they are trying to cater to a certain demographic for a certain candidate to perhaps drum up, you know, some sort of fake support or something. Okay, with polls, um, there's Always inherent biases in them to some degree. Uh, your good polling companies will be the ones that kind of openly challenge those biases within their own organization. And um, and you'll 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 see again, going back to what I was just talking about with uh how questions are asked, when you look at a poll and you look at the questions. Um, you can see some really interesting things there when there are inherent biases. Um, some of those biases could include individuals uh, who perhaps are in the higher income bracket versus individuals who are in a lower income bracket. And let's say you are trying to figure out perhaps maybe the uh, Latino population in Arizona and a certain city and you're trying to figure out, you know, where where they sway on things, right? And if you're a pollster, and you're calling, you know, a bunch of, you know, Latin people, and uh, these Latin people they are picking up, you know, you're getting these, these answers from them, while you're kind of ignoring the, um, just the effect of, what money does to people, let alone a minority. So if you're a a Latin person, you have a landline, you're probably in a more comfortable position to answer that phone and discuss things versus a lower income person of, you know, some sort of Latin background who maybe doesn't feel comfortable about sharing certain ideas. So that one skew of maybe higher income individuals in that minority group could definitely affect the overall poll for the group you're trying to focus on. So again, you know, when you're looking at polls, I know it takes a little bit more time, but you should go to that poll's website, look at the questions that were asked, look at the people they were talking to, uh, their income, their education, all those things really do add up into how um, certain individuals vote and, and and how they respond to polls. Another um, kind of... Uh, way how polls work so you you all will probably see during the presidential election you had a variety of national polls which kind of takes the temperature of the entire country and then puts out a number for the candidate of how the country feels about that candidate so leading up to election day you know joe biden had uh, a national average uh being about plus seven to plus 11 Uh, compared to Trump so Biden was ahead of Trump anywhere between like 7 to 11 points and that was nationally and what they do to get that national figure is they essentially kind of combine all the states in a way um, or at least all the amount of good statewide polls and then you know add that up together get your average and then there's your national average uh, national averages are really kind of, uh, I don't know, they're they're a good gauge uh, of like where the country is. But, you know, there's a saying that all politics is local and especially when it comes to polling, it is definitely local. So the opposite of your national polls would be your, your local State polls or your district polls. And that actually gives you a much more clear idea of how a candidate is doing in any specific district or city or area or state. And those polls are generally more accurate. They're also more uh, better to use because, you know, these are people who live in that state. And, you know, there's a little bit more kind of like passion about the local politicians there. So, you know, they're, they're, they they're tend to be a little bit more all about discussing, you know, how, how they feel about the election that's coming up. You know, whether it's the presidential election, some sort of uh, local, you know, local city government elections. Uh, and that's why I, I always recommend, you know, certain battleground states look at the state polls. Uh leading on to election day, you know, for 2020, I was heavily looking at Pennsylvania, Florida, North Carolina, you know, Georgia, Ohio, etc., Michigan. And, um, just like, you know, quick little fact, uh, the only state that I think Biden lost where he was expected to win by like, you know, a, a favor, favorable margin, uh, was Florida. You know, he was, it was like 50, 50 North Carolina, a uh, little less than that in South Carolina. Uh, he was only maybe supposed to be one point ahead, uh, Biden, ahead of Trump by one point in Georgia. Um, you know, he was a clear favorite in Pennsylvania. He won Pennsylvania. He was a clear favorite in Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Minnesota. He won those. So, you know, the polls weren't all that wrong, um, and at least in terms of <laughs> the presidential election. So, um, when looking at polls for certain things, it's nice to use the national average as a gauge, but I recommend always focus on the states individually and then look at it that way. So, yeah. Okay. Last couple things I want to talk about for this little section about what are polls are the probably... These are more kind of mathematical, more like statistical kind of things um, would be just in general, like probability and then margin of errors, right? So um, polls basically are giving you a snapshot of that time frame when the poll was taken. Whenever you look at a poll, it'll give you a date. It'll give you a date of like this poll was taken on, uh, you know, October 5th through the 14th. And we talked to 1,500 people. So between those days, you know, October 5th to the 14th, those results they got are how that voting group would vote during that time frame. Now, a week later, and we all know in politics, a lot can change in a week. So a week later, those people could change their minds quickly or easily. And uh, usually polling groups will constantly poll people, you know, week after week after week, so they'll they'll like maintain, you know, their their questioning and and try to keep some sort of um, well figured number so it so there's not like a month gap between, you know, the polls, so there's weird shifts going on, you know. They want like a nice steady balance shift so they can study, you know, what happened at this time frame or whatever. So, um I think that's important to remember when you read a poll. It is not what they think the outcome is going to be. It's more so of what the outcome would have probably been during that time frame, right? So even though Biden had like a 90% chance of winning, you know, on election day, uh, and even though he did win, um, we saw that, you know, if we look at it for more of a probability perspective that there were moments when that probability of him losing was like holy shit and then him winning again it was like okay you know there there it goes back and forth and it constantly kind of moves until everything's counted mm-hmm. lastly um mar- uh, you know margin of error people tend to like ignore the margin of error so every poll will have some sort of margin of error meaning that uh you know let's say a polling group did a poll on health care and they found that, you know, 60 um, percent of people were favorable of universal health care and 30 um, percent of people were not in favor of universal health care. And let's say 10 percent was unsure. No, I'm sorry. Five percent was unsure. And then five percent said, I don't know, I'm just being crazy here, but 5% said, you know, fuck healthcare, no one needs it. So that 5% group is kind of iffy for that poll. And what the pollsters will do is kind of factor that weird 5% in, in that, hey, even though 60% of you know people um, really love universal healthcare, and we think this, maybe there's like a bill in a state where it's like, will this bill pass healthcare in the state? If that state has 60% of people that you know like healthcare, that 5% might turn into a much more bigger population. And so a polling company will say, even though it's 60%, it could be 50, I'm sorry, 65, or it could be 55 if you factor in where that 5% could go. And that's like a, it's like a way to protect the poll from uncertainty, right? It can be confident that it'll get somewhere between 50 and 60 positive uh, votes for, you know, passing this healthcare deal in that state. But, you know, we could be off by five points or we could be below five points. And depending where you are in certain races, you know, the margin of error could mean that you could lose even though you're ahead. Um, think of a race, you know, like North Carolina, for example, and all the polls had Biden basically being around 48, Biden to 49, Trump. And that's basically kind of where it is right now. Uh, maybe Trump's maybe 50%. So that margin of error was maybe like around probably two to three percentage points. And that's why there was a lot of hope. Like, okay, maybe Biden might win North Carolina if he can just pull into that That margin of error, you know, those people who are within that margin of error, maybe if he can get them to go on his side, then he could win. But ultimately, uh, it went towards Trump. So, you know, he he lost within the margin of error, which also means that that poll was very accurate, mind you. So also, um, when looking at polls, remember the margin of error. Um, Just because someone may be three or four points ahead, they could still be within that range of where they could still lose. So keep that in mind. I think I want to end this part at least about um, what polls are, but just like a little quick metaphor of like, a think of like a hurricane, you know, think of like a weather forecast person following a, a hurricane. So in reality, these uh, weather scientists do not know where this hurricane is going to go. They have a general idea of where it's going to go based on you know, water currents, and air pressures, and blah, 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 whatever, all that other science shit, right? So they have a general idea, like, okay, this hurricane's going to go in this path, but if you ever look in the news when there's a hurricane, and they're showing you the path that the hurricane's going to go in, they they essentially give you, like, a cone of uncertainty of where the hurricane's going, meaning for the first day, they're pretty sure the hurricane's going to move into this direction, but then maybe, like, the second day, the cone gets larger, Meaning that after that first day, it could go way up north, it could go way up south, who the fuck knows. But they they give it some sort of a probable direction in order to kind of like, you know, warn potential cities or islands or whatever that could be affected by this hurricane. That's essentially what polling is, right? It's like, okay, on this day, we know this is how the country feels, but... As, you know, the weeks go on to Election Day, we, we really don't know how people are going to vote till they vote. So, um, you know, I, I think what I'm just trying to say there is that all polling is is just figuring out the uncertainty that exists around certain candidates or certain issues and then providing some sort of f- probable figure for the population uh, to to see And those figures are used in many different ways. Politicians use them as ways to move politically in certain directions or to maybe say certain things or not say certain things or to change their opinions on certain things as public opinion changes, you know? So, um, yeah. Okay. So that's a quick kind of really uh, rushed intro into polls, how they work and um, how they kind of like look at things. So next up, I'm going to discuss the issues with 2016 and then the issues of 2020, and then I will talk about why I actually support the support polls still and why I think 2020 was actually pretty accurate. All right, so let's now get into 2016. Um, this will be really quick because 2016 is actually really easy because we've had four years to kind of study all the, you know, the data and and kind of see where all the pollsters went wrong, basically. So in 2016, uh, the pollsters pretty much ignored or didn't necessarily, uh, they didn't catch a major shift with um, non-college degree whites. Um, They also kind of assume, and this is what all pollsters do in, in general, they assume a certain level of turnout for, you know, the Republicans and Democrats based upon you know, the previous uh, presidential election. So uh, 2012, you know, in which Obama won, uh, in 2016, they used kind of like those same kind of uh, benchmarks to kind of figure out, okay, we can expect this certain percentage of the black vote, we can expect this certain percentage of white women vote, we can expect this certain percentage of white non-degree vote, et cetera, et cetera. Um, With that being said... um, You know, at the end of the day, it's hard to know exactly who's going to turn out. And that was the biggest issue of 2016, was that turnout was just all over the place and not what it was expected to be. Uh, Specifically, as I mentioned before, with non-degree white men. So in 2012, um, you know, there was a slight shift. Uh, You know, you could see that there were some Obama voters who left Obama and voted for uh, Mitt Romney. Uh, but then 2016 came around and we had two very unpopular candidates, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And Trump just spoke a language that really resonated with a lot of uh, you know non-degree uh, white people and he turned them out. He turned them out to higher numbers than that was than expected. And he did so in the right states that he needed to in order to win the electoral college with Hillary clinton um she i mean even though she gained three million more votes than trump uh, she lost certain a certain percentage amount of voters within a lot of uh, minority groups she lost voters with a lot of women and especially with white men so um you know, we can discuss how that happened. There there's a variety of ways how that happened. Uh, you know, there was definitely plenty of uh, election interference, a lot of uh, disinformation being put out there, propaganda, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, Comey letter, uh, you know, all that stuff. So there is many reasons why, uh, but ultimately uh, was a major shift of uh, white non-college educated men. And that even carried over to 2020, which I'll discuss in just a minute. So, um, you know, when when people think about 2016 and how the polls were wrong, they were definitely wrong. And I think that was an issue that perhaps the pollsters will probably would have never caught anyways. Um, I'm not sure if they didn't try to reach out to enough non-degree college white people. Maybe perhaps that was the case. But there was also a lot of proof that a lot of those kind of people don't necessarily answer phone calls or, you know, from, from posters. So, you know, there there's a there's something there in that, you know, polling companies sometimes don't know certain things and will only know how to correct them till afterwards. And this is definitely a situation like that. All right, so moving into 2020, um the polls uh basically corrected their um I guess their ignorance of non-degree white men in 2016, you know, they were definitely aware of that situation and then they were able to kind of balance out their polls while keeping that kind of voter block in mind, right? But however, kind of with that same group um, and and with other groups, uh, turnout expectations um, increased dramatically for Trump. A lot of uh, pollsters were kind of thinking, you know, Trump Trump's somewhere near the maximum the maximum number of voters that he's gonna get, you know, compared to twenty sixteen. And um and I was even in that group too. I, you know, just kind of looking at different states, different polls from different states, different interactions from people, you know, um I, I also kind of felt like, well, Trump I mean, he, he, I could only see him doing the best he could in 2016 because, I mean, granted, he may have done some good things for, you know, the Republican Party. He seems to have uh, failed in a, in a variety of other ways, you know, big ways like the economy and with COVID. Um, but no, voter uh, turnout increased across the board uh, for Trump. He uh, increased his turnout with, uh, you know, the black vote. Not by much. I mean, Biden's still... Got the clear majority of you know the black the black vote, but Biden. I mean, uh, Trump definitely increased his turnout there. He increased his turnout uh, with certain uh, Latin voting blocks, uh, specifically in Florida and Texas. And you know, there's some uh, interesting theories as to why or how that happened. You know, there's um, a lot of stories about how in Florida there 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 were as said, there was a huge amount of uh, disinformation and propaganda from the Trump campaign that was specifically targeting uh, the kind of more so Cuban population of Florida, uh, you know, specifically in South Florida. That's a very, one of the larger um, uh, Latin voting blocks down there. And he was able to just kind of strike a chord with that group. Uh, I mean, that group has been relatively Republican in general, and they're pretty Republican in that, You know, it's more historical. Um, Reagan gave them amnesty. And then even uh, before that, I can't remember which uh, president. uh, But essentially, you know, they're just anti-Castro, anti-socialism. And, of course, you know, the Republican Party, uh, you know, for good or for bad, just hammers in on socialism and anti-socialism sentiment. And they were able to kind of really uh, get that Cuban voting bloc locked in. So, you know, 2020 is slightly a little bit different in that the polls were correcting their mistakes from 2016, but in a in a similar way, they still kind of made a mistake in that they did not think more people would show up for Trump uh, compared to how many actually did. Um, I mean, I think... Right now, Biden is ahead five, somewhere between five to six million voters. So I think Trump got seventy million. Biden's at like seventy-six million. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, somewhere around there. Um, yeah, and and that's insane. I mean, Trump definitely brought it out. So uh, I think a lot of polling companies need to again do a better job of honing in on certain voters. Uh, But perhaps they need to calculate for, you know, a larger turnout, even though they didn't expect there to be that large of a turnout. All right. So lastly, because now this uh, episode is getting a lot longer than uh, I'd like it to be. Um, I'm going to I'm going to defend the polls now. The polls are fine. You know, we we still need polls. We can and absolutely uh, need to be able to quantify um, this stuff. And by stuff, I mean, you know, people's uh, impressions of things. Uh, I believe we're just going through a very unique moment in our politics. Um, There's a major shift in voting habits that probably hasn't happened before. And, you know, this happens throughout history. I mean, just 60 years ago, you know, there was a red California and a blue Alabama and a blue Texas, right? So, um, we just have to remember that you know, uh, uh, kind of like a national uh, organism of politics is is a le- living, breathing thing, and it changes over time. And I really do think right now is a moment where uh, the pollsters are learning from the population. I mean, how else are polling companies and organizations gonna know about these shifts unless they witness it? So in a way, um, every now and then, polling. Organizations and companies need to go through a little bit of failure in order to uh, basically adapt to the new the new way the new the new p- pattern that's emerging, right? So uh, politicians also still need polls or, or pollsters. Basically, uh, how is a politician supposed to know you know what their constituents want without their constituents' input? How are politicians going to know? when it's, you know, the appropriate time to maybe shift on something, you know, think about Obama as a senator, who was very, I won't say anti-gay marriage, but it was at a time when being anti-gay marriage was kind of the thing you had to be, unless you wanted to lose. And while they knew, probably in their own personal beliefs, like, yeah, of course, I'm pro-marriage, but I just can't say it in, in public, because, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do some, some things for for my people, and then sure enough, when you know the tide was kind of changing, all of a sudden Obama, yeah, I'm pro gay, pro gay marriage. So, um, you know, they they use these things, so they are still important, and we still uh, we still definitely need them. More importantly, though, we need to learn as a population how to read polls. That that is our responsibility. No one's going to teach us that. And that's why I wanted to create this this quick kind of podcast to hopefully maybe provide some uh, additional input on how, how to read polls. You know, your average person looks at a poll. It's like, oh, shit, Biden's ahead of 12 points. Oh, he's got this shit. And then all of a sudden when it kind of becomes neck and neck, you know, then they're like, oh, what the fuck? The polls were wrong. But it's like, well, okay. first of all, you're looking at the national. You're not looking at the states. You're kind of ignoring the margin of error. You're not looking at the states that are only, you know, there's only a one point difference. You know, you're ignoring that these are really bizarre times. There's a pandemic. So um, I think this immediate reaction to hate the polls after 2020 was probably a little uh, unjust and probably a little too, uh, I don't know. It just seemed really immature to me. Uh, but that makes sense. Again, that makes sense because not everyone really knows or cares about this stuff, and so you know this is why I'm putting this out there. So basically, um, you know, polling is is very extremely hard to do. So uh, give give polling companies some credit. You know, going back to that like hurricane example, it's like how the fuck are they supposed to know what you know 300 million whatever voters. Think about a candidate. Right. And uh, and, you know, ultimately, I feel like what overall happened with the polls in 2020 was just that people just literally changed their mind at the last minute. I think the answer to the issues that 2020 faced is pretty simple in that people mostly did not like Trump, but because Biden for months was just kicking his ass in in the polls. I think literally a lot of kind of moderate, middle, maybe slightly right, who maybe who were slightly open to Biden, I think what they saw happening was there was all this movement and momentum and enthusiasm on the left that they would basically either do some sort of combination of they would vote for Biden and then they would choose a Republican senator or a Republican uh, congressperson or or they would just switch their vote to Trump altogether Um, which, you know, certain voters were documented saying they basically, you know, were open to Biden, but they were more Republican. And having, you know, Biden look like he was going to win the trifecta of the White House, the House, and the Senate, that they ultimately ended up voting for Trump. And so I think, you know, one last thing is that we need just to keep uh, people's mind, keep in mind, like people's mind change. And they change basically up to the day, up to the second they're in the voting booth. So, you know, again, I think the polls were fine. Ultimately, who they thought who was going to win won. And uh, I think maybe the polls got a little too ahead of themselves and started being a little bit more optimistic for the Senate, uh, especially in the House. You know, ultimately, the Democrats ended up losing seats in the House. I, again, another simpler term uh, or a way to describe that is I believe that Those losses were basically just Republicans taking back land that was originally theirs anyways. Uh, Some of these uh, House seats were won in the kind of blue wave of 2018. And in any sort of wave year, the opposite tends to happen in the next election, meaning there's this big surge of Democrat voters. They probably outnumber Republican voters in a wave year. And then in a presidential election year, when everyone is enthusiastic to vote, everyone's going out to vote, uh, Republicans took back ground that was already kind of theirs anyways. So even the losses in the House, I don't think are like bad. I just think that they're kind of going back to the way they were. Um, so yeah, I I hope this video or this podcast, um, there should be a video for it. Uh, but anyways, I hope this podcast really does help people think of polls differently or see polls differently, and then maybe approach the polls differently. Um, Polls are great. I fucking love polls. I really do. They're just fascinating. It's, I mean, it's like science and math and psychology. It's all of that in one, and, um, you know, the information that is, that is gained is, is, is just really interesting information, even just like reading, like, what are, what are people saying, you know? So, all right, that's all I'm going to say because I'm going on 45 fucking minutes. And, you know, I always try to stay below 30 minutes because you guys don't like to listen past 20 minutes. So <laughs> but anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Um, check me out on social media. I'm on Instagram as Mr. underscore hippo, M-R underscore H-I-P-P zero. I, uh, I'm on Twitter. I don't really do much. That's where I get all my news, though. Well, not all my news, but a good chunk of news. Twitter's great for news. Um, and, uh, I'm DMST on their, you know, letter D, letter M, letter S, letter T, follow me and chat with me about shit. I love talking to people about politics, so you can always reach out to me. All right, guys. Uh, so after this, I'll probably be going back to my normal routine, of uh, just kind of going over the, over the, over the news. Um, it's kind of been really dead recently. I mean, everyone's just really kind of focusing on, trump's random tantrums you know these uh recounts that are all basically confirming what we already knew and then basically all like the uh all the lawsuits that trump is losing uh meanwhile you know COVID is ravaging our country and is barely in the news so wear those masks guys uh i can't wait to go back to the news and I'll, i'll get that out next week all right guys have a wonderful day bye